If you'd open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. While you're turning there, I just want to bring your attention to a couple things. There's uh, two short articles in the bulletin. Uh, one is called Don't Be Fooled by Nice, and the other one is Why Your Christian Friends Have Become LGBTQ Allies. I just think those are, those are good practical things to think about um, because a great deal of the church is being affected by a lot of things that are going on in our culture, and I think that some are unprepared and are unwittingly ending up kind of compromising the truth of the Word of God for various reasons, and so we need to kind of take a look at that and kind of be challenged to, uh, to consistently think and act biblically regardless of what the price may be for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for uh, the opportunity we have to gather here today. Fathers, we now turn our attention specifically to your word. We ask you to bless our time as we continue to finish up our study here in <coughs> chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. We ask, Father, that you would continue to challenge us and change us, that, Father, we may become more like Christ, really in every way, uh, that, Father, we may be instruments in your hands and used effectively for your purposes in the lives of others. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 8, it reads this way, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for, the, for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contributions for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Again, I think as Paul continues his thought here, that one of the things we want to kind of look at as he, again, is speaking a great deal about this gift, a financial gift he wants these believers to make sure that they gather together and send to Jerusalem, is to kind of take a step back and look at it from maybe a little bit of a more broader perspective and recognize that what he's getting at here is that the way that we live our life, every aspect of our life, our attitudes towards, uh, towards people, towards things, towards the needs that others have, that is deeply or intimately intertwined with the salvation we say we have. We say that we believe in Christ. We say that we are Christians. And again, even though most of us understand that that's more than just meaning that it's something we do on Sunday, and so therefore because I'm a Christian I go to church, but that this really does affect every aspect of life, that there's this idea that, that I am being transformed, that I have been saved for something, not only so that I can go to heaven, though that's a great thing and a marvelous thing, and we want that to happen, but it's more than that. This idea of being rightly related to God really challenges and is to change every aspect of my being. There are certain events or certain things that we do in life that we believe should normally bring that about. What we're most familiar with is when we get married. When we get married, our life is to become very different from that time forward. 
From that time forward, life is really lived more in the sense of we and no longer I. And a new life is formed, a new life is made. And so a lot of things are going to go maybe in a different direction than maybe it normally would have because of this union with this individual. So the norm is that we are going to be different really in every facet of our life. When we begin, when we begin to have children, the same kind of thing takes place. Our life continues to change. There continues to be uh, new things added into our life that are going to bring about a radical change in the way we think and in our approach to people, just in the way that we mature. In fact, some of these things causing us to mature, maybe a little uh, uh, faster or to a greater degree because of these new responsibilities that we have, because of this relationship that we have now with our wife, the relationship we now have with our children, and we kind of move forward in life. So the idea here that Paul wants these Corinthians to understand, because again, remember, most of these individuals in this church, are, they're probably wealthy, they have money, you know, that's not the issue. Paul isn't trying to milk them uh, and, and make, you know, enrich himself so they become poor. He's not concerned about that. He's not trying to get rich. He really wants the needs of, of the believers in Jerusalem to be met because of the famine that's hit the land. But he really is concerned genuinely with where these individuals are at this stage in their life. He wants their thinking to be completely changed and challenged. He wants their whole view of our existence uh, on this planet to be very different. The way we view our relationship with people, the way we view uh, how we give our word, how we keep our word. And of course, again, as we mentioned before, uh, a large part of what he's speaking about right now revolves around the way that they, they handle money, even though he's, he is not getting into, you know, how do you spend your money as an individual? But, but their attitude in general towards their finances, towards the needs of others, and then, of course, their uh, attitude towards the needs of others as a congregation and as a church. So in verse 8, he does say, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may, be, you may abound in every good work. So again, it's easy to take the broader perspective here that he's not just talking about money. The idea is, is that God is able to do something. God's sustaining grace. Uh, what, what God gives to us that we need to live the life that he's called us to live. Uh, we need God's help with that. We need God's grace to live as Christians. You know, we're, we're able for a while in the flesh to look like we're living as a believer. There are certain things we can do in our own energy that can mimic what a believer does. The idea behind here is that the grace of God, that our relation with God is, is such, that the grace of God is this continual resource that is, in essence, poured into our life, that we have access to, and that we will then be sufficient because of the grace of God to do all the good things that God wants us to do. So again, God really is concerned that we live a life of good works, but it's never the idea that we easily become confused with that somehow it's these good works that are going to earn for an individual salvation. That's just the farthest thing from his mind. But at the same time, what is on his mind is that the, the norm, the natural outcome of this relationship with the sovereign God of the universe is that I'm going to be concerned. My eyes are going to be opened and I'm going to want to do good for others. I'm going to want to do good things. I want to do that. Uh, for the sake of Christ and because of Christ. And God is telling us that he's called us to do that and that he's supplying us with what we need to do that. He's not just telling you on your own strength to go out and do this. He is going to supply what we need. Uh, if you need boldness, if you need courage, if you need 
finances, whatever it is you need. So it goes from the, from across the realm, across the spectrum, whether it's boldness and courage, whether it's opportunity and assertiveness, or whether it's finances uh, that we need to make something happen, whatever it is, God's going to supply us with those things. And so we, we need to, in, in essence, we live by faith. We need to live our lives believing that God is going to be supplying these things for us. That you are, in essence, adequate for what God has called you to do. You are not adequate in and of yourself. You are not adequate because you have a certain kind of personality. You are not adequate because you have certain kinds of gifts and abilities. All those things may come into play, but you are adequate, not because you are self-sufficient, but you are being made sufficient by God and by his grace. And so there is then no reason for you and I to hesitate when it comes to doing good things. And it may be, and maybe it often is, small things that no one else notices. We do need to make sure that, that we get away from the idea that it's always to be these big things that others can see. It really doesn't matter if others can see. On one hand, it does, because Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to do our good works before men. We are, we are to do them in the open. Not, not to bring attention to ourselves in an arrogant way, but the idea behind that is so that people will honor the Lord. They, they will see what we're doing and honor the Lord because of what we are doing. We are so identified with Christ. And so, even though, so we're not trying to hide these things, but we're not trying to bring undue attention to them, but we do take advantage. We need to be aware of what's going on around us and then do good for others, whatever that may happen to be. And we do so again because of Christ. And, we'll, and in that, we will, we will have an impact. We will have an impact on the lives of others. And again, it matters not if you're having an impact on the lives of three people or 3,000. That's, that's not the issue. We want to be the instrument in the hands of God. And so what we need, he will give to us. We need to believe that. Uh, we live in an age where the, what we think about ourselves, uh, the confidence we have in ourselves, seems to be, you know, there's many things that are a big focus. That's one of them. You know, I don't have a degree, or I don't have that kind of smart, so I just can't remember things. And we have all these excuses as to why we cannot do things. And we just need to move away from that and not worry about that and realize that we should be so secure as to who we are in Christ that if you do end up in a, in a situation that maybe would have beforehand been embarrassing to you, it should no longer be embarrassing. To where you can just simply say to somebody, you know, I'm not as smart as you, and I don't know the answer to that question. But you still do what you need to do to help them out. You can say, but I love the Lord and I know what he's commanded me to do and he's commanded me to help you. Uh, or, and he wants me to, to pray for you while you go through this difficulty. I don't have the answer to your philosophical question as to why this is happening in your family. But I know I can pray to you and I'm praying to a God that I know exists and answers prayer. And you can do that. Uh, and there are times, there's, I remember reading the story of a professor once who really took a great deal of joy uh, in belittling Christians uh, among his students. This was a college professor. And he took great joy in undermining their faith. I mean, it really brought a thrill to him uh, when he would hear stories of individuals who say they used to go to church, they used to be Christians, or whatever the case happened to be, he would be excited by that. But at the same time, he admitted later in life that he was looking for one thing, and he ended up finding it. And it was a young lady once after he had gotten through the class and had done the normal things that he did to belittle Christianity and to mock the faith and to mock the Bible and to mock those individuals who believed in Christ. 
this young woman approached him. Uh, she was a freshman. And uh, she told him that despite all the things that he had said, and even though some of the things he had said she had never heard before, she was always going to believe the Bible. And he asked her why. And he said, because it's God's word. And I believe what God says. And he said that what he was looking for on one hand was to find that one individual that would stand their ground regardless. Someone who had what he would call genuine faith. Faith that would not be undermined so easily. And so as a result of his encounter with this young woman, and what she said to him wasn't profound. She didn't paint him into an intellectual corner and say, well, since you can't answer my questions, you need to believe. None of that happened. She just said that she was not going to be swayed by what he said and that she was going to stand firm. And she unashamedly stood firmly on the Bible. And so he ended up going to a, a used bookstore, uh, found a copy uh, of the Bible, and... Uh, took it home to read it. Now remember, he was a professor, he's one of those intellectual guys, so he read the Bible from cover to cover in two weeks. Uh, a lot of people well, aren't gonna do that. Uh, and then when he finished, he read it again for the second time. Uh, and then when he read it the third time, he became a believer. And his entire life changed. And so we need to recognize that all that this woman needed, which was courage and assertiveness, God gave her at that moment, and she was used by God in the life of this individual in a way that she would have never imagined. And so we need to stop trying to figure out in advance how things are going to go and just follow what the Lord wants us to do and do good. And do good to those who do evil to us and just follow the simple commands of the Bible. And remember that here according to this, God is able to make all grace abound to you. And so when you are feeling inadequate, ask God to fill you with his grace. When you're feeling adequate, ask God to make sure you're not depending upon yourself, but that you're depending upon his grace. And believe that he will supply it to you. And remember this also, that most of the time, the grace that you need for Friday will not be given to you on Monday. So you're not going to be gearing up that week feeling braver and braver. It will be given to you at the moment that you need it. And God is faithful in that way. And so here, in the context of what Paul is talking about, this idea of being generous, basically what he's saying is, is God is going to see to it that you are given the opportunity to be generous. The present tense of this passage here indicates that God is continuously able, that the grace he's going to give to us is especially God's ability here to continually give material provisions to supply all of our material needs, even to the point of overflowing. And so we will be able to supply the needs of others. We're going to be able to do that. In fact, uh, remember that in the Bible it makes it pretty clear that um, if we don't take care of our own household, we are worse than an infidel. The idea is that we are not to shut our hearts to those in our own family, that we are to look out for them. And so again, we are reminded that money is a tool as well as a gift that God gives to us, and we need to use it and not to hoard it. But again, it all comes back then to our attitude, to the way that we are looking at things, and again, revealing the dependency that we have upon God. John MacArthur says this, he said, God gives his son to all believers. But as we previously noted, he blesses in a unique way and, gener and uh, in a unique way that to generous, cheerful givers. In fact, he blesses such believers on such a grand, immense, staggering scale that it beggars language to express it. Trying to convey the magnanimity of God's generosity, Paul resorted to hyperbole, using the word all five times in verse 8. 
God's gracious giving has no limits. It is off the scale. Since giving naturally seems to result in having less, not more, it takes faith to believe that giving will open up God's blessing. Christians must believe that what God has promised to do, he is able to do. And so as he goes on and says in verse 9, he says, As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So Paul is quoting from Psalm 112, uh, and that substantiates this principle of giving that he is now applying to the church. Paul is advocating, what Paul is advocating here again is not a new truth, as we said before, but this idea of generous giving has always been God's plan. And remember that would make sense because being stingy is the natural effect of what? Sin. I don't know if you've, you've ever heard this story before. It, it can be, it's played out probably on a regular basis in the lives of little kids. But there was this kindergarten class and, you know, they had dolls and blocks and cars and trucks for all these little kindergarten kids to play with. And there was one kid who was kind of a bully. And so he had all the cars and all the trucks and all the blocks in his corner. And he wasn't going to share with anyone. And as the teacher was watching this whole scenario unfold, all he was concerned about was what he had and making sure the other kids couldn't touch it. And of course, he was the unhappiest kid that was there and never was able to play with those things because he was worried that somebody would come in and touch them. Meanwhile, after a while, the other kids just got bored asking him, and they all just played together and had a great time. And again, being stingy, no one taught this kid how to be stingy and selfish. He was stingy and selfish, and he was unhappy. And so that's just the norm for the individual. That's the sin nature. That's where that takes us. And so there's this idea that is throughout the scripture that we need to be generous individuals. That would be generous with our money. That would be generous with your time and generous with your love. Remember we, again, we live in a world that's stingy in so many ways because they're trying to prevent themselves from being hurt. They want to prevent themselves from suffering loss. And what they do is they want to build fences and they want to build walls and they want to be careful around individuals. They want to, they want to control the situation. The more you live that way, the greater the unhappiness you're going to have. And maybe the greater the experience of betrayal and all the rest because you're putting all of your stock in one thing. Paul wants these believers to live a free life, to be free from the bondage of sin. And the bondage of sin includes that, this, this desire to be stingy and selfish for whatever the reason, even if it's just to kind of protect yourself. You end up not protecting yourself. We need to be so free in Christ and so uh, uh, make ourselves available to this relationship that we have with Christ that we are able to absorb the blows of the world. Because the blows of the world are coming anyway. You're going to be betrayed in your life more than once. You are going to be ripped off. It's going to happen. You can't prevent all of it. But, we're not, but we don't despair of life when those things take place. We don't think that life is over because maybe our, one of our best friends has betrayed us. Because we know who we are in Christ. We know that we are accepted by God. We know that we'll never be rejected by God. We know that we find our worth in Christ. And that really does carry a great deal of merit, a great deal of strength. There's a reality that is in that. We are to be, if you think about it, even though we can act weird as people, that the most stable, uh, psychologically stable people in the world. We've got nothing to prove, nothing to hold on to. And everything we have has been given to us by Christ. And that really is the idea, uh, I think, that Paul is bringing across here. So again, specifically, Paul is quoting Psalm 112, verse 9. Again, he's talking about here the righteous man. And this righteous man, among his other virtues, is generous in sharing with the poor. The one who gave to the poor did so voluntarily and not out of a desire to even merit favor with God. His action was to scatter abroad 
And this produced fruit that demonstrated his salvation or proved that his salvation or that his righteousness was genuine. The poor here is, describes the man for whom life and living is a struggle. The man who is in the reverse uh, of the one who lives in affluence. The fact that his righteousness endures forever seems to imply that there is some kind of eternal reward resulting from a giving heart, especially in giving to those who are in need and those in poverty. Now again, remember that I've said this before, and it, it's, I'm not trying to detract from the message, but remember that the poor in those times are very different than the poor today. We have to be a little discerning with the poor today. Because we do, in our country, we, it, it's, just, it's a fact of life that we have the richest poor on the planet. So you may have to ask some questions to find out those who are truly poor. Those who meet, I guess, the requirements that are in the scripture as far as an individual is poor. But when we find those individuals, we need to help them and we need to be generous. I tell people, you know, we don't get as many calls as we used to because the phone, you know, there's not really a lot of phone books floating around. But it used to be that a lot of individuals, when they find themselves in trouble, they would just open the phone book, go to churches, and start calling every church they can, asking for money. And so there, there are those who found that's a great way to supplement their income, is by doing that. And so they would have all the different stories, and which they, through time, they would find ways and different words and phrases that would work, that would kind of trigger certain churches to help them. So, when, so when we, and we still do get calls, and we do, I do, I ask a lot of questions. But my goal really is this. My goal is to weed out as much as possible those who are trying to just take advantage and don't really have the needs that they say they do. But, but I have another goal, and that is this. That is to find those that do, that are in genuine need. And our goal as a church is to help them. If there's not going to be a token. There's not going to be, you know, if a lady calls, it's because it's usually just a lady. It's usually maybe a widow, someone who's very poor, and they, have a, they live in a, in a mobile home, so their electric bill is out the roof because of their... Um, window unit of their AC. And so all of a sudden their fixed income doesn't go very far because they all of a sudden they get an electric bill for 600 bucks. So my goal is never if I find that there's a genuine need to say, well, we'll give you $25 for that. Well, we'll send you $50 for that. Because a lot of churches, that's what they do. In fact, some churches, that's what they do for their own members. No, the goal is this. If that's a genuine situation, a genuine need, yeah, we're paying the whole thing. I don't think anybody would object to that. I've talked before with the deacon board way back when I got here about those kinds of things. They're on board with that. Yeah, we want to do that. We do that for our own, and if there are those that come our way that are in genuine need, we, we want to show them the love of Christ. And so we don't want to do a token thing. We want to be generous. I don't think that being generous that way has ever hurt us. We're still in a good position. God has blessed us. And it's okay for us to say that and to recognize that and to embrace that. And we just continue to go forward, doing the best that we can. And that's what we want to do as individuals. That's what we want to do as a church. And that's what he's talking about here. So again, what Paul is doing is he quotes Psalm 112 to illustrate the generosity of the man who fears the Lord. The positive results of his giving. So even though I, we do need to think in terms of, a, of someone who's a godly person as being pious and being spiritual, and, and that's a good view, as being righteous and being moral, and that's a good view, they're also generous. It's also that. You know, so, so it's not you know, the, the sour-faced, stingy man who is godly. It's, it's also this generous man that is godly. From the wealth and riches in his house, the God-free man freely distributes his gifts to the poor. As a result, his benevolent acts of piety will never be forgotten. It's because they're remembered by God. 
They will never be forgotten. And again, that can look, again, this is not just the idea of, I don't really think it's just the idea of handing out cash. It may not be. It may be inviting others over to, for your home to share your food with. Good grief, with the way food costs are going, you are definitely being generous if you're sharing a good meal with somebody. That's costing us money to do that. But we want to do that for others. So whether it's that or getting someone gas or whatever it happens to be, the idea is we want to be generous and we want to be genuine. And I do think that that's a great opportunity, even though they may not want to hear it if they're an unbeliever. If they ask you, why are you helping them? Just say, well, it's because I love Christ. It's because Christ loves me. I'm called to do this. They may do nothing with it. They might. It doesn't really matter. We want to make sure that, the, that we speak well of God, that we're giving God the glory for this. Because it, that really is where that belongs. Deuteronomy chapter 15, beginning in verse 10, it reads this way. Where God is commanding Israel when it comes to how they treat the poor. He says, you shall give to him freely. And your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be the poor in the land. Therefore I command you. You shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. It's good that he says here that the poor will always be with you, because we need to remember this. If you are ever involved in any kind of charity work or that type of thing, it is very easy to become cynical, because you meet person after person after person who they're selfish and they're mean-spirited and they lie and they rip people off and all those things. And they're, and they're trying to take advantage of people and get all they can for themselves. And, you, and we can become cynical. It happens to individuals who become police officers for good reasons. They can become cynical because of the majority of the kind of people they work with. Those who begin to work in the jail, for whatever the reason, or prison, uh, after a while can become even more cynical than they may already be because of the way people are and the way they behave. And so even though that, that's natural, we need to make sure that that doesn't happen to us. And again, we do that by growing in this relationship we have with, we have with Christ, understanding what he has said here. This, is, this command here that he is giving to Israel, this command that he gives to us as believers, is to not do these things in a grudging way. We want to make sure we can truly help the poor. Don't ignore them. Do not ignore them. Back then to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, which would be God, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, this may not be a good way uh, to illustrate how money works. Maybe it is. Uh, but I think it's a good way to illustrate the blessing of God. Uh, I don't know really all that much about how fruit trees grow. I just know they do. And uh, several years ago, a friend of ours gave uh, me two tangerine trees. I ended up killing one. I don't know how. Uh, but the other one is just a very simple tree. Now, I want you to know how hard I work at cultivating to make sure this tree brings forth fruit. I look at it every day. That's about it. I do nothing. I don't water it. Well, I've watered it one time. I thought we were having a drought, so I watered it two days in a row. But besides that, I've done nothing through all these years. It, it looks more like a bush than a tree. Last year, there were 850 tangerines on that thing. Now, I don't know if that's normal or not, but I think that's a lot. I can't eat 850 tangerines. I gave a lot of them away. It was, it's, it's incredible. But that's, this, that's the idea here about God multiplying your seed and, and increasing your harvest. I mean, I don't know if that tree grew from one seed or maybe a group of seeds. I don't know. I don't know how that works. 
All I know is, however that tree grew, we didn't plant 850 seeds. And, and it does that all the time. Well, the year before, there was only 700 and some tangerines. And the year before that, there was 600 some. That's phenomenal. That's how God will bless. So again, when I say that, you remember I've told you last week, we don't want to allow those who have bad doctrine to steal what the scripture says. And somehow, we don't want, we're not turning this into how you can be rich and how your wallet can get fat. That's just not even the thing here. The idea is that God is blessing us in such a way so not only that our needs will be met, and he will meet our needs, but so that we can continue to give generously. Because if you think about it, almost always, when God blesses others, he blesses others through his people. When you think of how God has blessed your life, he's blessed your life through people. When God's blessed my life, whether it's been spiritually or intellectually or financially, it's always been through people. It, nothing's ever fallen from the sky. It's always been through his people. And so God, we are a part of this equation that God uses to bless others. He, God wants to bless other people through you and through me. And God wants to be a part of that. And just so you know, that can be a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to be in that position. We want to be that person. Also, what will happen is, is there will be some incredible stories you'll be able to tell of how God has met your needs in unbelievable ways. He goes on in verse 11 and says, You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So again, we will be enriched in every way. So many aspects of your life are going to be blessed by this. And I think maybe one of the main reasons if you try to dissect this is because we are becoming so different as people. We're becoming like Christ. And the more, the more and more you and I become like Christ, all of the relationships that we have will be enriched. They will be enriched. They're, no longer, they're not going to be ruined. In other words, even if you have people in your family who may betray you, your life isn't in ruins because of that. Your life is enriched, and, and the relationships you have with those that are good, you will enjoy thoroughly in every way. You will have a full life. I don't know about you, but I want to have a full life. I mean, I want to have a full life in the future, and I'm going to have that because I know Christ. I'm, I'm there. I want to have a full life now as well. And I really do think my life is full. I mean, there's room for more, but my life is full. It's great. And, and we should want people to have that. And I trust that you have that. And if you're not gleaning, if, you're not, if you don't have that in the relationships you have with people in your family and friends, then... Not always, but that may be indicative of a lack in this relationship we have with God. And so we, that's why we need to focus on the Lord. And that's why we read the scripture. And that's why we fellowship and worship with other believers. So all those components in our life are going to be enhanced. And we continue to mature as believers. What's interesting is when he talks about God supplying our need, is the word supply that's used there, it's the same word uh, that is used in, um, in 2 Peter in the beginning there where he talks about God supplying um, everything that we need for life and godliness. And it's a great word. And it's kind of a different word because the word supplies there is used to describe an individual who supplies a chorus for a drama. What in the world does that even mean? Well, here's the idea. The idea is, is that the individual who is supplying the chorus for a drama, they are taking on that expense themselves. It's a great expense and they're taking on that expense exclusively. It's a large outlay. Uh, in, this, in this case, it would be cash for the individual. 
The idea is also that they're going to supply it fully, so that you're going to supply every aspect of the chorus, or maybe you could think in terms of an orchestra, every aspect that's needed so all the parts can kind of come together. So, that, so there's this idea of fullness, there's this idea of this large outlay that, that, that is needed for this to take place, and that's what this individual is doing. So if there's a drama and, and you need, let's say, a large orchestra and you don't have the funds for that, well, the day is saved, so to speak, because an individual steps up and is willing to supply everything that's needed for this chorus or for this orchestra to be gathered together. So all the parts can be there. Not just part of an orchestra where you only have violins and no, no, no percussion. That, that would really, you would miss out on the drama if you, did, if you had that. And it's not that you'd have only percussion and no violins. You want to have everything that's needed and that's required for this. And so there's, there's this idea of, uh, of abundance and really a balance. Uh, uh, there's this idea of harmony. All those things are kind of brought into um, the, uh, the sense of that word, though. So the idea, then, is God is the one who supplies in this way. God supplies generously everything that is needed. Everything that is needed that will enable us to continue to give is being given to us by God. That's how he wants us to think about these things. So God, again, who supplies physical food, would supply material blessing and spiritual nourishment in time and eternity. In the last passage here, Paul alludes to Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, which again depicts righteousness like a crop that was to be harvested. The idea of increasing a harvest of your righteousness. Again, that doesn't refer to personal righteousness, uh, but it's the idea that because we're already complete in Christ and, and we have the righteousness of Christ, if we stand before God, the harvest of our righteousness speaks of the eternal rewards that we acquire because of our righteous behavior. So again, what he's trying to do is to help bring together this tightly woven idea of our salvation and the way that we live life. And of course, generosity describes the individual who is free of pretense and hypocrisy. They're not self-seeking. They have an open heart. And in this case, it's seen by an open pocketbook. So the implication is that the Corinthians giving would not be soiled by selfishness or by greediness. This giving then is not only an act of worship, which it is. We, we need to remember that when it comes to the life of the Christian, that worship is not just this thing that we do on Sunday morning when we gather together. Worship is a word that does mean service. And as we do things for God, as we do things for others, for the sake of Christ, those are, that's an act of worship. All right? No one's singing a hymn when we do that, but that's the idea. We are serving God. And so it is an act of worship, but that also enhances worship. I don't know if you've ever been to, there's different kinds of worship services I guess you can go to, and sometimes those worship services kind of vary based on, I guess, the attitude of the individuals that are there. It usually can be seen in, or felt more strongly in smaller churches um, because you don't have all the glitz going on. Like, you know, there's no full orchestra that's drowning out our singing and, you know, it can, it can be very uplifting. But the idea is the attitudes that we bring with us to church just kind of sets the tone for what the service would be like. And, and so the idea here is that, that if you have a, a small gathering of believers who are growing in Christ and, and, are, and have a generous spirit, you know, when they come together to worship, there's going to be this, this, this joy, this depth of joy that is there as, as these individuals come together to worship God. And so, and so there's this idea that Paul is getting across here, how worship is going to be deeply affected by all of this. Again, he says, for the ministry of this service is not only for supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. 
by their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now, I mentioned this early on when we first started chapter 9, and you may have, you know, kind of overlooked this. But again, remember that a lot of the early Jewish believers were very suspicious of Gentile converts. They weren't sure what to think about those individuals. Many in, in the church in Jerusalem were appalled at the news that Peter had preached the gospel to Gentiles. You see that in Acts chapter 11. It was with great difficulty that they were even able to accept Gentile believers as brothers. So it would have been maybe even more difficult for them to believe that these Corinthians, these Gentiles, that their faith was genuine, especially in a city as evil as Corinth. Because the city had a reputation for being so immoral that if you were corrupted, they would say you've been Corinthianized. That, that was a great cut to individuals, saying you've just become, a, you've become debauched uh, in that way. So the Corinthians then giving sacrificially, sacrificially would then be this tangible demonstration of their love uh, for the believers. Robert McShane says this. He says, God allowed the proud and the favored people of Jerusalem to become poor in order to teach them the important lesson that all in Christ are now one, not only in name but in practical reality. There could have existed a certain amount of suspicion that the work in heathen parts was not as real as had been reported. Now with food on their tables coming from what for centuries they had regarded as unclean hands, they are compelled to own the wonder of their day, that all barriers are now demolished by the power of the gospel. And so there are times that God allows other individuals to go through a time of want because he seeks to demonstrate uh, his truth and his generosity and his love through the believers to them to help them overcome whatever obstacle may be in their life. And so that certainly could be true of this. There's a story of, of a little boy and his father at Christmas time. And this boy was four years old. And he asked his father this question. He said, Dad, what does it mean to ignore? So his father explained that it meant not to pay attention to someone. And the boy responded and said, well, I don't think that we should ignore Jesus. His dad was puzzled by that. And he said, well, I don't either. Why do you think that? And he says, well, we sing that song at Christmas. Oh, come, let us ignore him. <laughs> so his dad kind of a little chuckle from that. Said it was not the word ignore, it was the word adore. But then he was thinking about that, and he says, you know, sometimes it seems that when we sing that, maybe that is what we're singing. We ignore God's indescribable gift while they furiously pursue exchanging, and, and while we furiously pursue and exchange and collect expensive junk, that nobody really needs. And so what we need to make sure we do, that we do is that we, that, that, we, uh, that we support the needs of the church by supporting missionaries, by supporting opportunities for the gospel to penetrate unreached people groups and all the rest. We need to first seek his kingdom and his righteousness. We need to make sure that we're not ignoring Christ by ignoring those that are in need. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your goodness to us and for how generous you've been to us, Father, through the years. Father, I'm sure that if we were to sit and kind of speculate and evaluate things, that, that we may believe that others have been, uh, you've treated others or given others more, much more generously than you've given to us. That's just selfishness on our part. I think, Father, most of us, maybe all of us, 
can agree that you have been more than generous to all of us in so many ways. And we really are grateful. We pray, Lord, and ask that you would forgive us for not being as generous to others as you've been to us. We pray, Lord, that if there is a stingy spirit within us, that you would not only forgive us, that you would help us to suppress that, to cut it out completely. We pray that you would help us to be generous with our time, our love, uh, our money, whatever is needed. That, Father, others may speak to the praise of your existence and of your greatness. Help us, Father, to be deeply appreciative of all the generosity that has been sent our way. And to realize that the best way for us to express our gratitude for all of that is not only in giving praise and glory to you, but is also likewise turning and being generous to others. Forgive us, Father, for not really believing or maybe even thinking about the fact that you will supply for us everything that is needed for us to live this generous life. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to live that way. Help us to give that way in whatever way that we are to give. That, Father, as individuals and collectively, Father, we may live our lives in such a way that others really cannot help but notice that we are uniquely different. We pray that through that you would give us opportunity to share with him the why. It's because of Christ and all that he's done. And so, Father, we are grateful. We thank you. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.